Turn with me, if you would please, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, and let's read together verses 28 to, to 40. It's a passage that is, is very familiar, but it's a passage that also has a little twist on the familiar. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. <clears throat> After Jesus had said this, He went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As He approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of His disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as He had told them. As they were untying the colt, His owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As He went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones themselves will cry out. Amen. And we give thanks to God for this reading from God's holy word. To God be all praise and glory, now and forevermore. Amen. Ten years, ten years at New Providence, it's hard, it's hard on so many levels to believe I've been here that long. In some ways, it does feel like a long time, but in so many other ways, it feels like I just drove up I-95 with, with Gregor and our dog Joe just the other day there. There's a part of me that still kind of feels like the new kid on the block. I mean, I mean, Jeff's been here for, what, 15 years? Mike's been here for, what, 25? And Colleen's been here since the doors opened back in the day. After 10 years, it's, it's hard to know really how to bring things to an end. What, what do you preach about on your last Sunday after all these years? Do you tell a bunch of stories? Do you, do you reminisce? What, I mean, what are you supposed to do? I've struggled to, to get my head around how to go about this so over the last couple of weeks as I've been trying to process this. And then I, I realized that even although this is my last Sunday, I'm, I'm still preaching. And the purpose of preaching, before it's anything else, is to make Christ known. So this morning, I'm preaching. But then, that, that begs a question. What text am I going to use for the, as the basis for my sermon? Will you, well, fortunately, I, to, today is a, is a known and recognized festival in the church. It's Palm Sunday. But then that opens up another question. Which of the Palm Sunday texts am I going to use? Well, you already know that I'm going to use the text from Luke because I just read it to you. Now, I've not chosen this text at random. I was actually quite purposeful in the, in the selection of, of the text today for a number of reasons. 
First of all, the text from Luke is a wee bit different from both Matthew and from Mark, and you know how much I enjoy looking at the differences between texts and seeing what the differences reveal to us about the portrait of Jesus that the author of that particular text uh, is, is painting for us. I also chose it because if you, if you, if you pay attention to the text from Luke, it, it doesn't actually mention palm branches. John is the only gospel that mentions palm branches. Matthew and Luke talk about branches cut from the trees, but Luke simply says that people laid their cloaks on the road. So, Luke's gospel makes Palm Sunday something of a misnomer. It should really be called Cloak Sunday or something like that. That, that just kind of appealed to my sense of humor. But the main reason that I chose this particular text for today is that it's today's text, it's this Sunday's text from the Common Lectionary. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the concept of a lectionary, it's a, it's a three-year cycle of, of readings for every Sunday and every holy day of the Christian year, so that over the course of a three-year period, you read through almost the entire Bible. I chose this text today because there are churches all over the world who are reading and meditating on this very same text that we are thinking about right now. And it struck me that it was important to do that today of all days. I'm, I'm leaving PCNP, and I'm going to be part of, of the wider church. And that at least today, using the, the lectionary text is a, is a touch point for all of us, that wherever I may go next, wherever I serve Christ and Christ's church as a pastor, whatever flavor of church I may be in, we stand together under the Word of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the things that struck me as I was thinking about this passage over the last couple of weeks is that this entry into Jerusalem is, for Jesus, the beginning of the end, the end that leads ultimately to a new beginning for the whole world. His his entry into Jerusalem and the events that took place over the following days were to change everything forever. But as I thought about this, it, it occurred to me that the entry into Jerusalem wasn't actually the beginning of the end. But there was a moment that I believe only Luke records back in chapter 9 and verse 51, where, where he, he writes, as the time approached for him, that's Jesus, as the time approached for him, to be taken up, he turned his face steadfastly towards Jerusalem. That was the beginning of the end. That was when he made the choice that he was going to do what it was he was going to do. That was when he very consciously committed to living into his full identity to fulfill his destiny. I don't know about you, but I can't help but be drawn to this image of the one who turns his face steadfastly towards his destiny, one who embraces the future, an uncertain future. He was, he was human after all, and we do very well to remember that. He turns his face towards that future 
trusting only in His Father. As I thought about leaving PCNP, a thought, a word, a, a question really has kept on coming back to me again and again. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Let me, let me, take, a, let me take a step back first. When I came here 10 years ago, I knew what this ministry entailed. I knew that I'd be working with small groups, I'd be working with the small group leaders, I'd be helping to lead adults in this congregation into a deeper relationship with Christ. I was also aware of the fact that I would be preaching very rarely. And at the time, I thought to myself, as I look back, I enjoy preaching. I'm going to miss it, but that's okay. And then time went on, and things continued to develop here, but but every now and again, I'd think to myself, I miss preaching. It's okay. Time moved on, and I realized that I still missed preaching, and it was okay. And then eventually, I realized that I was a preacher who never or who very rarely preached, and that was far from okay. So, what do you do with that? Well, we've been talking about prayer over the last few weeks, so, so why not turn to God? And why not ask God what I should do? What, what is my next step? I can't do this anymore because I'm not doing what you need me to be doing. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Well, that question is not quite as easy to answer as you think it might be. I think most of us can answer that question in the positive if we know what's going to happen next, if we can see the next few steps ahead. Lord, show me the next few steps, and then I can quite happily say, yes, I trust you. No, that's not what I'm asking you. Do you trust me? Back in 1939, war had broken out in Europe. It was a, a, a fearful time, a time where the future was very uncertain. On Christmas Day, it had become the custom of King George VI to speak to the people of the United Kingdom a word from their monarch. And on this Christmas Day in 1939, he spoke a word of hope and of comfort into all their fears as he quoted this poem. And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, Give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, Go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. So I went forth, and finding the hand of God, trod gladly into the night. Do you trust me? In order to be able to answer yes to that, you have to come, you have to come to the very end of yourself. You can't, you can't answer that question glibly. 
because it's not about playing the odds. It's not about hedging your bets. It's not about trusting in a foreseeable outcome. Do you trust me? It's about not knowing what tomorrow may bring and saying yes anyway. It's about setting your face steadfastly towards Jerusalem or wherever it is that you know God wants you to be and where God wants you to go, even if you don't know where that place is yet. For Jesus, this is the beginning of the end, the end that leads ultimately to a new beginning for the whole world. But really, as I thought even, even further about this, really, that beginning began even before this. And Luke, in the, in the very passage that we read this morning, points even to that beginning. The disciples and the crowd are on the Mount of Olives, a hill outside of Jerusalem. They're praising God with shouts of joy. They're overjoyed because, all of the, because of all the things that they've seen and all the things that they've heard. The multitude of the disciples sing a song of praise that sounds all too familiar. Glory to God in the highest. Peace in heaven. Wait a minute. Where, where have we heard that before? This is like Luke is, is, is writing a great symphony for us. And, and he's bringing back a theme that he began with, and he spent the rest of the work modulating that theme until it's time to restate the theme in a brand new and in a very fresh way. Where have we heard that before? Listen. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. For today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger." Suddenly a great company or multitude of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about on a hill out in the fields. Joyful singing, I bring you good news of great joy. The multitude of disciples, the multitude of the heavenly host. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. This day a Savior has been born, the Messiah, Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, peace in heaven. And it was really this last phrase that struck me the most. I had never noticed this before in this reading from Luke 19. And it struck me as I read it because it sounds like an echo almost, an answering call. As the angels sang of peace on earth back at the birth of the Messiah, so the disciples respond, peace in heaven 
There's two things that I think are important to grasp about this. First of all, Christ is the one who ushers in and who accomplishes this peace. The angels sing of it at His birth, and the disciples sing of it as He enters the city where He'll die. Christ is the one who brings heaven and earth together. God and humanity are brought back into union through this one. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. We focus all too often on His death as the thing that establishes peace and that brings us back into a relationship with God. But this peace is announced at His birth. This peace is announced even as He enters the holy city. It's His life, at least as much as His death, that brings us back to God. That's the first thing. And the second thing is the way that this announcement is made. Peace on earth, peace in heaven. There are no verbs in either of those statements, neither in English nor in Greek. And I don't really know if that's significant or not, but I'm tempted to think that it is. A sentence without a verb, it's not really a sentence. It's a, I mean, what is it? It's a statement. And without a verb, it can have no tense. It's without past. It's without future. It's not even present. It simply is. It's without time. I wonder if we can say that grammatically, this is not a temporal statement, but it's a statement of eternal truth. Peace on earth. Peace in heaven. But more than that, it's not simply about peace. It's all about the glory of God. This is the one absolutely common factor in both of these accounts. In Christ, God is glorified. He always has been, and He always will be. And those who are in Christ are at peace with God, are at peace with one another, are at peace with the world, and bring glory to God. Always have, always will, no matter where they may go together or apart. Echoes of peace, echoes of glory, wherever God's people may be. There's a story I heard a long time ago about the ancient Celtic monks from the islands of, of Scotland and Ireland. They would spend some time on their island monasteries uh, preparing to share the gospel with those in the wide world around. But in order to get from their islands to the wide world, they, have, they had to get off the island. To get off the island, they would get into little boats called coracles, small boats, two at a time. They were, they were only big enough for, for two and, and, and with very little in the way of provisions. And they would set off without any oars. They were people who trusted that God would lead them quite literally wherever He wanted them to go. Those who were setting out would get into these little boats, and all the other monks would gather around at the harbor, and, and as the boats began to, to drift 
out of the safety of the harbor and into the open sea, they would all together begin singing in beautiful harmony. Gloria, 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 in excelsis Deo. Gloria, 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 in excelsis Deo. Gloria, 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 in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. And the melody and the harmonies would all blend, even as the monks drifted out to sea. Those on land would stand at the harbor, at the harbor singing until the last boat was out of sight. But even then, they would stay and they would sing until the last echoes of the Gloria faded into the distance. For they knew that even though they couldn't hear the song anymore, that glory remained. And that glory continued to echo out into far distant lands. And with that glory went the echoes of peace. It's my prayer that as I leave you today, that as we have shared God's peace in Christ, so may we go our separate ways in the resounding song of the glory of God. And that peace and that glory may bind us together in Christ as brothers and sisters, now and forevermore.